Okay, good afternoon. Welcome to the Finance Committee meeting. It's a couple minutes, a couple seconds after 4 o'clock. And we'd like to start on time and end on time and accomplish our agenda. Um, so again, welcome. Clerk, would you please call the roll? Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Charland? Here. Trustee Shequin? Present. Trustee DeVries? Here. Trustee Lawrence? Here. Trustee Thompson? Here. Welcome. Thank you so much. First item is the approval of the minutes on the consent agenda. Uh, we will take a motion to approve and we can have any discussion. Move to approve. Second. Second. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? The motion carries. It is uh, my honor today to welcome our new CFO to Alameda uh, Health System. She is no stranger to the work and the infrastructure here, and we are delighted to have you back. You have created uh, many a job here um, from previous work, and we just about caught up with that, and I'm sure we'll have a lot more. So, uh, uh, Ms. Katz, welcome. And uh, you are up for the financial report. So is this... Is this on? Yes. Okay. You might want to pull it a little closer to you. All right. So good afternoon. Um, as he said, I'm Nancy Cotts, Interim CFO. Um, I'm going to go over the financial report for February, and I'm going to rely on my colleagues to help answer any questions that you have, since I've only been here for a week. Um, I don't have all my answers. Um, I've kept my questions to four pages as <laughs> welcome to the health system, so I'll keep it easy on you. Great. Thank you. Okay, let's see if I can make this. Yeah, well, I don't know if this helps to point to things or not. Um, so we reported an operating profit of $2.2 million for the month, and while still under budget, it's an improvement over the prior month. Um, net operating revenue was over budget, almost $2.5 million, or 3.1%. Let's see if I can put this there. Um, Net patient services revenues were slightly under budget, while waiver and other supplemental revenues were over budget by $3.4 million due to ongoing reserve adjustments, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, operating expenses exceeded the fixed budget by $3.2 million, or 4.1% for the month, mainly due to salary and pharmaceutical expenses being over budget. The EBITDA margin for the month was 4.2 percent. Oops, what did I do here? <laughs> um, 4.2 percent compared to a budget of 5.2 percent for the month. On a year-to-date basis, we have an EBITDA margin of 2.6 percent, which is below the year-to-date budget of 4.6 percent, and the prior year EBITDA was 6.1 percent. Year-to-date revenues are under budget by 0.9%. They're 5% above the prior year. Year-to-date expenses are over budget by 1.3% and 9% above the prior year. And I just want to make a note that the fiscal year 18 budget is frozen for the remainder of the year. There was a policy that was allowing the AHS leaders to move budget between various uh, expense lines, and that didn't prove to be a value-added exercise, so it's been um, discontinued for the rest of the year. Actually, you got to go back a few. Oh. You advance 
when you, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> now you have an answer. Okay. So patient activity was strong for February. Um, our acute average daily census was 286, which was 3.2% over budget. Um, discharges were below budget, though, by 7.9%, and the average length of stay has continued to increase. So this higher length of stay is can be in indicative of sicker patients and may correspond with the higher pharmaceutical expenses that we saw for the month. The emergency room visits were about 4% below budget. Clinic visits were right at the budget. Physician work RVUs were lower than the prior month. However, there were fewer days in the month, and there's no actual budget for work RVUs. Is uh, that going to be included in the 2019 budget? Um, so we have some benchmark against yes. it? This yes. Just posed a question uh, today, and I, I haven't gotten confirmation yet, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. The reason it wasn't last year was we didn't have the system. Oh, I know. Yeah. Jody's nodding yes in the background. Um, the post-acute average daily census was 298 or 1% over budget. Net patient services revenue was 1.6 under budget for the month, um, which was consistent with January. We're currently at a year-to-date 20.5% collection ratio, um, and the budgeted collection ratio of 20.6 is expected to be met by year-end based on continued revenue cycle improvement initiatives that are underway, as well as contracting activities, which includes um, completion of a new agreement with the Alameda Alliance. We're just waiting for the signature. Do you want us to hold our questions to the end, or do you want interruptions? Uh, I, I mean, I just don't know how. Um, it's up to you. It seems to me if they're relevant to the section yeah. we're on, and the, I think you should ask some questions. Okay, well, I'm, I'm interested in the collection ratio. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems to me that it, I'm assuming the goal is 100% collection. Well, it's it would be a hundred percent collection would be the goal, one hundred percent of whatever we have budgeted for net revenue. I mean, if the collection per, um, percentage is calculated as net revenue as a percentage of gross revenue. Okay, you'll have to you have to do this slowly for me. So explain the collection ratio and the difference between twenty point six and the twenty point five. What does that? represent a certain dollar amount? Does that represent the number of collections you have made? So I'm not understanding what that ratio means. And then I'm trying to understand if, and maybe it's language I just don't know. So if you have um, revenues that you want to collect and you're assuming that you're going to get a hefty number of revenues that you collect, 20% seems to me to be a pretty low number of, of collections. So even 50% seems to me to be a low number. So I'm not understanding, and so could you help me understand that whole notion? So the, the collection percentage is actually, it's, it's net patient revenue compared to gross. So when someone comes in you know, and sees the doctor and they get a, a gross charge of $100, they don't end up paying $100 because their insurance company has a negotiated rate or Medicare pays $20. So 
basically what it's saying is on average for a gross charge of $100, we collect on average across all our payers $20.70. And, and that's when you're saying that's the norm and for hospitals. So that's what we should expect, that we're only going to get 20% of, of the, the collection. The percentage here is relatively consistent with other public hospitals that, that I've seen. So we, we actually calculate net revenues in the budget and, and on an annual basis. We look at actually how much we expect to get by the various payers. So it has, it, it's, it's a mix of. Okay, do we, are we anticipating what we intend to get from the payers because there's a limit in which the payers will give us or because we don't have the capacity to collect more in terms of people, in terms of scale, in terms of software, whatever it happens to be. I, I'm not understanding what, are you saying all hospitals can only get 20% of what they, what they put out? So, so how do I know that this is a good ratio? Um, I guess, I mean, it, it, that's, that's a hard, it's a hard, you know. Isn't it also, though, a function of what your bill charges are coming right. off of your charge master? Right. And, and that also, as I understand it, you have to be somewhat careful with your charge master that your charges aren't too high. Right. So you look like you're way off market, right, even though you're contracted to collect only a certain amount. So if you wanted to lower your bill charges, you can actually make this percentage higher. Correct. Right. But That's if your correct. bill charges are high. So you want to you balance, don't you, between what your bill charges are and, and what you know your contracts are going to bring in. Correct. And, and historically, there's just, because of the way public hospitals get reimbursed, um, you know, it's, it's tended to push gross charges up just okay. because of, of the ability to collect everything that we can. Okay, so how do you know your staff, one staff, our staff, it is doing the best job they can? In, is that shown someplace else in terms of collecting what is due us? Um, well, we, when we look at, when we book um, revenues, net revenues, we, we look at it from both um, an income statement approach and a balance sheet approach. So basically you want to see, it. if you're estimating that your net revenues are $100, you would expect to see a month or a month and a half dollar so you would expect to um, you would expect to see the collections and the cash coming through, um, you know, at a monthly so. Third floor cafeteria, collection, Highland Care Pavilion, fourth floor cafeteria, third floor cafeteria. Sorry. Okay. So so if you had revenue hundred dollars this this month, you know, after the collection process, you'd expect to see it coming through on cash, you'd expect to see $100 coming through. And so we do monitor that we're actually receiving, you know, getting the cash in. And if we have to, if for some reason collections don't come through for some reason, then we have to make adjustments. Right. And so that happens 
on an on an ongoing basis that we're reviewing it. So we do track. So let me uh, add. Uh, so Michelle, um, remember the the uh, the projected monthly uh, revenue is 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 not what we actually collected in that month. It's what we project to collect based off of the services we rendered, uh, and we do that for every month and over the course of the year. Uh, that when, when we do our audit after the books close at the end of the year, the auditors come back and say, how good were you at projecting what you expected to collect? Because here, you've now said what your gross is, what your write-offs are going to be, what your net is going to be, and then, you know, you have that uh, revenue cycle that's going to be a few months, or a few weeks to a few months. So by the time the books are closed and the audit's done, if you booked, as, as, as I said, $100, did you actually get $100 or get uh, uh, close to $100 so that now your your uh, assumptions that go into how you uh, estimate how much you're going to collect are actually panning out to be accurate. Okay, I get the understanding of what you think you're going to get and you put that in the budget. Mm -hmm. So this is not about the budget, this is about what we're... In the revenues. Isn't that part of your budget, your revenues? Well, when you say in the budget, that's if, if you're doing a budget exercise. Uh, going forward, I thought we were talking about now over the course of the year, talking about the actual uh, the actual production. So, so it's, uh, uh, you do it twice, but in this case, we're talking about the actuals. So when you talk about collection ratio, we're talking about like. Well, I, I'm sorry to hold this up. You guys go ahead. I'm just trying to understand yeah. how uh, how. You monitor whether or not you are, in fact, reaping your benefits of what is owed you. So and the, how do you monitor that? So, so David talked about this a little bit in, in some uh, prior meetings when you said like AR and softening a bit. Right. So as the cash, so, so let's say now it's February. If in December we uh, we budgeted an actual, uh, or I'm sorry, we, we uh, booked an actual uh, $100, and by February, he's seeing that only 80 cents or $80 are coming in. Then that collection ratio gets dropped a little bit to reflect that. Okay. We're, we're, we're when you put in that $100, yes. when I remember what David said, mm -hmm. it's based on previous year. So I looked back and said, oh, there's $100 we got last year. I'm going to put $100 in this year thinking we'll do a little bit better, so I'm going to do $105. Is that the maximum that we can collect? I'm a, I'm a bit confused by the question. No, I think this is something we need to discuss. I will. I will. It deserves an answer. I mean, this is a crazy system. Yeah. Theoretically, we're a $3 billion health system. We don't know. We only know because we're going to get paid for $2 billion on it. So I mean, this goes, and now we collect 20% of the amount we're going to get in the first place. It goes through, I mean, you can explain this, I think, with a couple hours to us. Yeah, can, let me ask it a, a different way. Sure. What are the measures that we can see to, to judge the performance of the collection activity that's going on in the billing department? And, I, and I'm sure there are certain metrics that would answer your question. Are they doing their job? Are they collecting every dollar that they possibly can? What are we writing off and why are we writing it off? Was it uncollectible because it was billed too late? Was it uncollectible because we had the, the contract in the wrong? Or was, was there some issue with the way the plan interpreted the contract? So there would have to be other objective measures within kind of that, that area 
right? Yes. That we can look at to say, are they collecting every dollar that they can collect? So, so there are things, there are, there are indicators along the revenue cycle process that give you an indication of that. So you've heard us talk about the queen charge error uh, work list. Uh, which is, you know, are you actually, for every encounter, getting all the charges that you should get in there? Uh, the EBU, how many edits are you having to do uh, against how, many, how much of the dollars that you uh, are expecting to uh, bill that are getting caught up because you're having to work through that process? Uh, days in AR, those are the, some of the classic indicators that we shared before that, that we uh, use, the finance team uses to see uh, or to uh, to evaluate the ongoing integrity of the revenue cycle process. And then you have rejected claims and you have other write-offs, obviously, with the get offs So 20% is good or is it bad? It's, 20%, 20%, it's, 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 as, as, as is 20% is typical. Whether it's good or bad sort of depends on a host of other factors for, for which they vary based off of organizations. So typical for public hospitals, not typical for us. Is that something you can bring back to us next year, next month? I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's a very good question. Yeah, I can, I can put something together. It's a little deeper dive. And it would be interesting, too, to, you know, I, I, I always question where we set our charges, too, and how do we compare with the way we've set our charges versus other, other similar, like, you know, public institute, public hospitals, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's where you also get into trouble on occasion because that winds up getting published. And then when that gets published, we go, well, why are you charging, you know, $100,000 for that procedure, right? And it's not really what you expect to get. You expect to get 20000 because that's your collection ratio. So mm -hmm. it might be interesting just to hear how do we establish the charge master? How does that charge master compare to, to other like hospitals? Right. We probably that on the acute side, on the post-acute, I'm not sure how much we could, how many uh, points of reference we have that are similar to us, and that was bad. Okay. We'll do that. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. So, as I mentioned previously, um, the supplemental reimbursements were 3.4 million, or 12.7 percent over budget for the month, based on ongoing adjustment to reserves. And due to the uncertain nature of many of our reimbursement programs, whether it's based on cost and then subject to audits, whether it's based on metrics and specific encounters that we don't that are not finalized until well after the end of the year, or if it's a delayed or a retroactive reimbursement program, our receivables and liabilities and reserves for these programs are reviewed every month, and they can and they do often change month to month. So we had a favorable decision by the courts regarding the inclusion of hospital-based FQHC-related expenses in the fiscal year 12 to fiscal year 15 DISH calculations. CMS has appealed this decision, but because we have some other changes with our FQHC status, we're reevaluating the amount of reserves that's necessary for this issue, so we're able to take a $2 million um, a $2 million adjustment into income for, for part of that adjustment. Um, adjustments to the reserve are not always positive, um, and sometimes they go in the opposite direction. So you can see here that we also have a negative $1 million adjustment for the MCE, or the rate range revenue that we have that's attributed to the Medi-Cal expansion population. 
but in this case we had an overall adjustment of almost 3.4 million for the month. Um, we've also learned recently that the scheduled dish cuts, which although we're not receiving dish revenue anymore, we get we have a global payment program or a GPP program under the waiver. Um, those dish cuts were pushed back for two years, and so it's going to increase the amount of funding that are available for the GPP program in both fiscal year 18 and fiscal year 19. So this adjustment has not been made yet, and we expect to see some positive adjustments spread over the next few months. The adjustment for the reserve or the adjustment, um, when you say the adjustment hasn't been made yet, the adjustment that you anticipate we're going to get or the money that you put back in? The adjustment for the additional funding we're going to have available under the, the global payment program. What's the ballpark on that for on an annual basis? One million, ten million, hundred million? I believe it's about it's like 15. three million a month, right? For the global payment program? For the for, for FI, oh, you're saying the delta between what we already? Yeah, well, we've already have approved, what we think is going to be for fiscal year 18, and then we're going to have about three million. A month? No. no. Total no. year. Total year. For the two years. No. This, this fiscal year. Okay. But they were going to just when you reconcile. Next fiscal year, the reimbursement director, mm -hmm. um, she and I had quite firmed that up. Okay. We well, described this ballpark. Thank you very much. Please continue. So, in, in, just, just because I haven't looked at it in detail, I think, uh, I, I think uh, um, what Ann just said, right? Uh, comports with what I understood, but I had also known that for a time it seemed that we, I was under the impression that we weren't looking in the oven because we thought the cut was effective as of October, so we'll validate that. So so it could just be the delta of three, 3 million in what we booked or, or have already accrued, or, or if we, we validate that there was something wrong with the accrual and we accrued less and it could be more, but we'll, we'll okay. Thank you. Sounds good news, Mark, regardless. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So um, here you can see more detail of the operating expenses. Um, the February operating expenses were 81.3 million, um, 3.2 million or 4.1% over budget. And while we continue to see the under budget for FTEs, we're over budget for salary and wages. Um, so in looking at that, we did a detailed analysis of the salaries budget compared the budget to actual variance, and we identified that there were two major factors that contributed to that variance. Um, salaries were budgeted using an average hourly rate for the incumbents rather than a weighted average hourly rate based on the usage of those various um, incumbents. So it actually understated the, the salary budget in the first place. Um, and then there's been some changes in the skill mix and the usage of staff. And then, in addition, new employees have been hired into positions at a higher than budgeted average hourly rate. Mm -hmm. So these things have all contributed to um, the amount that we have a variance to budget. It's been accounted for in the 2019 budget, so we're now doing a weighted average hourly rate, and we're putting positions in at a higher at a higher level. Um, and of course, there's actions being taken that are underway now to you know deal with this um, overage for fiscal year 18. So here you can just um, sorry, please. So um, 
basically, to make sure I'm clear, our total number of FTEs is on track for what we had budgeted for at the beginning of the fiscal year. Is that correct? We're actually under budget. But over in salaries. Right. But which is all that really matters. Because the we, uh, in the last month, we yes. were discussing where there is that discrepancy, right. where it is. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to really highlight yeah. that. Yeah. 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 I think it's significant because it, it speaks to uh, math, not operations. Because we're actually operating with the number of employees that we expected to be operating right. with. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That's true. What that means is. <laughs> the budget that will call for a certain number of employees to, to run the operations on the assumption that those employees will cost X number of dollars. The salary uh, uh, calculations were done through, through this different type of averaging, right? right. And therefore, we, we're not, we haven't overhired. We're not, that, that wasn't what, 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 what knocked us off track. It was, it was not overhiring or, or overstaffing. It, uh, we still have higher numbers than we had the last two years, I think. Right. 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 Not high budget. We can't have higher numbers. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we haven't, as as we we budgeted a half higher number, and we haven't stepped up to that higher number. Right. We've stepped right. up higher than we were, but not to that number. But we're still over the salary. But doesn't it also affect your your conversations at the negotiation table? Because when you are suggesting that we're going to give a 10% raise or a 6% or a 5% or a 3% and you calculate the dollars in which you are intending to give that and you find that in fact by agreeing, this board, agreeing to do a 3% or a 4%, when those math issues are wrong, it means that it costs the organization far more to give the 3% than if we had given a 2% with actual numbers. Um, more, more accurate projected numbers, yes. That's right. You're right. All right, well, in reviewing the business um, unit and contribution report, um, the primary variance to unfavorable variance to budget are in acute care, post-acute care, and ambulatory. Provider delivery and support services are both favorable to budget. Oops, And then this just shows by accountability areas. So operations accounts for most of the unfavorable variance um, with a big positive variance in provider delivery. We're still having need issues with Alameda and San Leandro hospitals. Is any chance of beefing up those numbers any? Is any I mean, you're still so far off budget, 165%, 144%. Contribution. I think it's a, it's a combination of, of, of what we just talked about in terms of how, particularly on the salary side, uh, how, how the budgets are um, impacted by those by those uh, uh, differences uh, at San. Well, and Luis will probably go into this in his report, uh, but at San Leandro, uh, part of uh, uh, the the variance that we're uh, collecting is in our budget. Uh, we expected that as we started the rehab construction that the uh, the other half of the uh, 
of the inpatient uh, unit uh, would, would actually still be in operations for the for the at least the remainder of this fiscal year. Uh, but in fact, we, we made the decision and we're called back in January for the efficiency or expediency of the project to actually close those okay. beds. So, so that revenue, the expense came up with the revenue as well, and so that's uh, also impacting the, uh, the contribution margin. Do you want to add anything to that? So we'll expect to see that for the remainder of the year. Uh, but overall, the uh, back to budget plan uh, addresses not just those areas, but other areas that uh, uh, are aimed at getting us um, uh, back in line or more in line with our expenses as well as our revenue. And I'll meet Variation for Alameda Hospital. So I think on the expense side, I would say it's 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 part of what I was saying in terms of the, in terms of the salary, at least of one. Um, but I don't know in in, in greater detail uh, uh, the other elements of the expense side. And, and on the revenue, I would say actually uh, I know that um, we've been doing a, a charging and consolidation effort there too, and that was part of the revenue cycle improvement effort. Uh, and some of those got delayed, but they are in in motion now, and so. Uh, the expectation is that there's a couple million more uh, uh, that we're expecting to get in revenue cycle improvement um, that I, I would imagine would actually uh, contribute to this. But I think this is right. This part of the budget that I don't understand down to this level of what are the assumptions that drive expense allocation across our different uh, sites uh, versus the business units. So I'd have to look at two of them a little bit more and figure that out. So the two million you said you were expecting within this fiscal year and the next? Uh, uh, no, this year. In it's this part of our revenue cycle improvement for the remainder of this year. So the balance sheet shows some improvements in gross AR days and cash for the month. Net AR days are up slightly um, compared to the prior the prior year end. It's it's up quite a bit, and I just want to make a note that this is a bit misleading because of the way that the net patient revenues actually include a subset of some of our supplemental revenues. So the calculation gets a little weird when it, you look at revenue per day and what's actually in the receivables. And so we're actually going to be separating those supplementals out from the net patient revenue. So in the future, what shows in that line will just be what's coming from collections. Mm -hmm. This is optional. It will make some of what you're talking about. That's right. That's right. To, to That's track. right. To track. Um, so we'll be separating that out, and, and we'll do it both for fiscal year 19 and then do the prior year so that you can do comparison. But while the net ARs are, are higher than the prior year, we continue to be under our metrics tracking goal, which is 75 days, so we're, we're beneath that. Would you keep on your list one of the requests of this committee to your predecessor was to north the line of credit um, forecast to be a rolling forecast, and um, that wasn't able to get done. Could you keep that on your to-do list, please? It's I really helpful that. to know, at least on a forecast basis, what's out there six months. Sure. Thank you. Um, AP days are down. Um, we're current with our vendors. And then, speaking of the, the line of credit, um, we are we remain in compliance with the line of credit, and our net negative balance is projected to be about $78.9 million at the end of the fiscal year. So, with that, um, any other questions that you have? 
that my colleagues can answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I want a little more information on it. sounds like salaries are a big reason for for cost overrun. Expenses, yeah. Expenses and expense it, it, I'm trying to understand, is that related to uh, labor contracts agreements or are there other variables like hiring decisions that are made on the ground? It's kind of a to attract someone to a position, for example. It's a combination of, of, of those things, I would say. So, so if um, we're actually going back and delving into one of the pieces, but I think we walked away with uh, if, if, if that was material, it was nominal, and that was, um, you know, some of our contracts, particularly ones that were related to uh, uh, Alameda Hospital, uh, we were, we, we, your board and, and administration working to produce equity across our uh, different uh, uh, classifications so we have more aggressive um, um, increases uh, to, to get to that to get to that point um, uh, we budgeted for that because we budgeted across the board uh, including that and it looks like that wasn't uh, a driver for this or if it was it was nominal so so uh, it is though to it goes back to the uh, sort of the base calculation of what is the anticipated aggregate uh, wages uh, that speaks to Trustee Lawrence's point. So so if, uh, just like when we were doing in the budget, we're doing average salaries and not the actual salaries, when we uh, put that, um, uh, that increase on top of that, that might actually be artificially low um, uh, when, when you apply to a different rate for different uh, salary classes. So, so going into next year's budget, that particular piece of it, what we did was to, we always take six months of actual experience, roll it through with adjustments based off of uh, commitments that we understand or, or programs that we're um, doing anything substantial to. Uh, this year though, we took that six months uh, of experience, then also took three more months of actual experience, looked at a weighted sort of average of how, you know, if those employees that we have are more, uh, the ones that we, we use when we're staffing are greater than that average, then we weight towards that average and then take that number and apply it going forward uh, um, to more closely approximate what we expect the salaries to be. Uh, similarly, then, on the new employees, so the hiring decision piece of it, as, as Nancy is describing, uh, if you took that average uh, and you're in the market recruiting for a nurse, you know, CN1, CN2, CN3, whatever, um, uh, if you take that average and depending on the skill level of that nurse you bring in, uh, he or she could be making or uh, be uh, commanding a salary that's above that average. And if that happens with enough people, then even in a unit that's staffing with the right skill mix and the right staffing mix, they're going to go run through their budget. And so, uh, yeah, the, the, the sort of aggregate impact of that with some skill mix changes in some ways that uh, our units were operating resulted in, you know, uh, I think the number being is about eight million. Uh, on that, on that note, do you have any? I'm not suggesting that you should, but do you have an administrative regulation or practice that specifies to those individuals who are hiring mm -hmm. at what at, at what level they can bring they can bring someone in? You know, is and and I'm not suggesting everybody needs to come in at the beginning because I I recognize recruitment issues and and. Yeah, we, 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 so, is it so managers can't make offers at all. It's, it all happens with HR, and so HR, because they understand all the labor standards. As you know, some labor standards are changing now. You can ask uh, uh, people uh, about prior salary history as a basis for making salaries that we're dealing with equity, uh, particularly gender pay equity. Uh, so, so it's usually with HR, and HR is looking at what the um, 
what the uh, range is for that classification and other sorts of considerations for experience. And those classifications are spelled out in the contract or, or are yeah. they? Yeah, so, so when somebody's budgeted, it's in the budget. So if, you're, if I'm budgeting, uh, I'm budgeted for a position and I go out to recruit for that position, we have, uh, Tony can speak to this better than I do, we have ranges uh, for those big classifications and then they negotiate a salary that's within that range. Is, it, is that you want to add? I'm sorry, I missed the comment. Over. It's about. <laughs> 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 about this just question is. And why did you do it? It's the answer to that. It's just a true or false. The guidance that staff have for salaries that they're able to offer to new recruited employees. So, as you know, most of the employees are represented, so about 92%, they would fall into step and grade based on whatever their contract is. For the 8% that are unrepresented, we would look at past experiences and what the existing staff have paid, and then an offer would be made. So someone who had five to seven years experience at that level would be considered journeyman and would expect to come in around the midpoint of the range. Someone further on would expect to get an offer much higher in the range. Is the eight million variance really based on new hires, or is it really? No, it's, no, no, it's, it's, a it's just a small portion. I mean, really, it is it is everybody. And so, I guess my question moving forward is: when we calculate, I mean, we we know who we have, and we know what step they're going to move up to. I mean, you have like thirteen steps, I think, for nurses, right? Fourteen. Fourteen. Who's counting? Um, and so, it just seems that it, it might be painful and a long time, but you can actually calculate exactly how much those employers are going to cost next year with the negotiated contracts. Yeah. Correct? Um, to a degree, what you don't know with turnover range is who's going to be in those steps. So you get the, there's, some, the, there's some estimation in there that's always going to come in with, with turnover rates. Retire, you can assess a retirement, but again, it's a, it's a guesstimate, and then you, you don't know where people are going to leave and what step they'll actually come in if they come in from outside. And keep in mind, we start with a base that's, that's of, of six months of actual experience, and a lot of those things happen within that six months before the budget actually even gets started. So, so like we're, we're doing the budget process over January to June, the budget gets started in July. You, you could have the actual salaries of everybody who was working January or July through December, and those aren't the same people who are right. starting in July. Okay. So there's, there's, a, there's a bit of art to it, um, but, but what we're trying to do throughout these experiences and really uh, more closely refining what are the causes of our variance than uh, uh, being a little bit more uh, accurate or uh, like more approximate to what we should Well, it's much better than just doing the average salary, which I think we made a mistake doing, you know. I, just think, I think we would agree with that. Yes. Yes, I think they're looking because you're ready. We, we wanted to make sure you were ready to keep going. Yes, okay. This board was born. Any other questions on Ms. Katz? I know the rolling forecast, we both agreed that uh, we should wait on that, and uh, we believe that it will be presented hopefully next month with some more January. Um, so totally fine with that. Any questions before we go on to... Well, can I read you more editorial question? Uh, I've, I've, you've, you've studied this organization's finances a little bit, right? And now you're back, and, and thanks, and we appreciate you being here. I mean, uh, 
the numbers are over there. What do you think? So I, um, I'm obviously going to be digging deeper in, into the numbers, but I do see that since I was here before, there's been you know significant improvements um, in, in things that are being done. So um, I. You know, I, I feel positive um, about the direction things have been going, and um, you know, but I just have to start peeling back the onion and, and seeing what's there. So that was a very diplomatic answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just out of curiosity, on page 34, there's a business development worksheet not for external distribution. Um, was that meant to be in the pack, or was that by accident, or consolidated portfolio operating statement? It only went to the board members yeah. and to, like, Michael Delphi. Okay. It's a, it's a current status of the budget. It's not completed yet, so that's why it's... Okay. Yeah. So you all look at that. Mr. Fonseca. Excellent. Thank you. So again, I will be trying to provide you a, a slightly deeper dive on the performance, operational performance of, of February. And I appreciate all the dialogue and, and uh, now that we have the framework and that we've talked about that that was one of the deliverables from previous months was to kind of get a better sense of what was driving that salary variance. And I think we've explained that and we've talked about that. So uh, we're certainly very pleased to, to have, you know, Although, although unfortunate, we're very pleased to have you know, identified the true driver um, because it really speaks to the fact that the staff has done a phenomenal job really managing operations, managing you know, their productivity, managing resources, uh, managing overtime, managing registry. Uh, they've done a really a phenomenal job and we've seen those trends continue to go down. Um, so in any case, uh, looking at the breakdown by SBU, uh, looking at population health, there is no revenues associated to the population health business unit. And again, this is an, um, another qualifier here when, when uh, Nancy, for example, presented the roll-up, total consolidated roll-up of the system. The allocations that are made by, you know, to all the different SPUs is, is complex, uh, to say the least. And so again, the, you know, there's obviously some science that goes into that, but again, we're looking at, when we're making the allocations, we're looking at uh, uh, the revenues and now we're focusing on, on expenses and in this particular area no revenues are outside of just some minor supplementals because of the waiver um, uh, that population health is leading uh, we're reflecting those here then you get into the labor labor is really the largest component of this business unit and it looks weird up there when do we expect to see uh, uh, sorry about patients no, we have it right. you have it right i'm sorry yeah we have it. Yeah, it's yeah, something yes, sir, I missed your question. No, it's okay. When would we expect to see a number on the net patient revenue side? Never in this business unit. No. Okay. Yeah. So it's always paid for by... Correct. I mean, that you would never see any allocation to the net patient service revenue because they're not providing direct patient care. Right. Okay. So you would never see it in this business unit. Um, uh, however, the supplementals, there is a small allocation, like I said, because of the impact that they have on waiver programs, mm -hmm. which are led by population health. So think before asking to cut it because it doesn't have a revenue associated with it. Right? <laughs> well, you can cut zero all you want. <laughs> um, so, so like dining and things also is 
there's a prime metric for about how right? the whole person pairs. So they, they, well, I mean, is that, that team, so some portion of tendering team submits all that effort. Okay. So there's a portion of prime, you know, there's a portion of prime, portion of proportion care that that falls in here. But it, again, that, that, that the waiver as a whole is spread across multiple business units, and that's kind of where that science can change as far as how the allocation is made. Again, it's just to try and get a sense of how each business unit is operating. So I guess what's more important there is over time to get a sense of what the capitation is actually. What 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 are we realizing? How do we in the other business units? We're gaining a revenue advantage in other business units, right? right? Correct. Correct. And, and what I'm saying is at some point, I understand we're on the front end of this, but at some point we'll want to get a metric for determining, projecting what that savings would be and, and uh, well, really, measuring the success of population. Correct, and, and we will certainly do that, and, and you still will not see it reflected in this business unit or financial right. statement. Right. I mean, because essentially what, as you all know, we, we are uh, embarking on that journey, and it's focusing primarily right now on, on the primary care. Mm -hmm. right. And we're, we're starting off in Newark, and then we're moving over to the other sites, ultimately finishing off at Highland here, uh, our, our primary care clinic here. So uh, that's going to be a, about a year journey uh, as we're going through each one of these implementations. Uh, for yeah, this is plan. So, so it's huge, but where we would see that would be in ambulatory. <laughs> I see. Yeah. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you see the savings and the and, and the actual expenses for those capitated lives? So you kind of take a look to see the population health department is actually making an impact by lowering the absolute cost. Well, in, in an ideal world, yes, that's the ex that's the ex expectation, right? I mean, you're you're at, at the end of the day when you're capitated, you're receiving a member per month rate right. and at that point if you're not managing your expenses properly then you're, you're going to start seeing you're having difficulties sustaining the organization right so I mean, we should see that globally as far as as you know with I mean it's so broad because you, you would see that globally as far as utilization within the hospitals you would see it you know so you would see your volumes maybe drop mm -hmm. at some point but if you're, if you're looking at the 35,000 how many how many capitated lives are there we have uh, about 60,000 assigned lives. Right. And I've captured, we just capitated for primary care at Newark, and uh, that's about 9,000, 10,000. 10,000 lives. Oh, okay. Yes. Right. So, we have um, a plan over the course of the rest of next year to go uh, primary care cap for all four or the remaining three of the sites. Uh, and those are with the Alliance uh, lives, and so that's about half of them. Well, actually, a little more than half, but it's you know. But you have to kind of measure the cost, right? What were the cost of the services, and then you should be seeing that drop down the overall cost of services provided, right? If you want to value correct the cost of services, your success with population health can be measured by how 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 you've been able to impact the actual cost. Even though you're capitated, you're still going to know what your cost would have been if they were not capitated. Alive. Uh, yes, yes. There, and, and, and if you recall, uh, back in the fall retreat, uh, Tangerine came up, uh, presented the types of metrics that you uh, look at to, to kind of gauge the performance of the organization. We're actually just talking today. Those are the types of metrics we're going to start to advance when we get to looking at, because now we are moving into population. Right. Uh, um, um, the, the system, our dashboard, right. subsequently as we made, um, 
encourage uh, adoption of a couple of those as indicators for uh, the, the success of the organization. It won't, again, it won't show up in here because that's not where the revenue or the expenses related to that activity are. Uh, this is basically a coordinating function and the care, care management staff that's right. involved in that one. Right. How far are we away from the search of reports? Uh, so right now, we just, we just went uh, live on our first capitated uh, uh, site this month. Um, uh, we're expecting, actually, we got a three-month run in with uh, the, the plan, so it actually really picks up in July. Just types of things we're looking at, so these will be uh, not uh, necessarily expense reports, but it'll look at things like uh, the number of uh, PCP visits uh, for, for uh, the capitated lives. Um, yeah, there's something else, uh, the EV utilization reduction. Well, actually, we, what we found out when we were doing the negotiations with them was our EV uses for this assigned uh, group of lives are well below the market. So what we negotiated was that, that we would keep it below the market, not to reduce it because that seemed uh, uh, not necessarily prudent or realistic given how far below we already were. And I think there is two more. Mm -hmm. uh, there's two, two, at least two other uh, metrics that I can handle. Wasn't that one metric where actually would go after the assigned, like a bigger portion of the assigned? That's when we get to looking at, well, one, we will see, we expect that as we capitate, uh, what you're talking about is the leakage. Yeah. So we, because the lives aren't assigned to us, the expense that we don't incur, but those are services that we okay. take care of. Yeah. yeah, right. So we are not, in primary care capitation, we're not taking those on yet because we're not ready. Uh, we are putting together, and beginning in July, we'll have a uh, more robust UN function. We expect that with the lives that we've capitated, we're going to see more uh, referrals coming in out. Uh, but we're not on the hook for that. Once we do get full capitation mm -hmm. on the primary care side, that's the next thing we're going to go toward, and we'll have some experience and at least a platform for that at that point. Okay, so we should probably keep the dashes in these cats. The good news is we don't have a super heavy agenda today. The bad news is that means we'll ask every question under the sun. So, uh, so, again, but all wonderful questions, and that's exactly the direction that we're heading in. So, again, population health, we're performing well, as we discussed. I'm not going to talk about the labor. Uh, there, obviously, there is a negative variance there. However, we are seeing that the productivity is being managed. Uh, some of the key indicators when I'm looking at FDs for just occupied bed, they are favorable to budget means that they're managing their resources effectively and they're, they're uh, supporting the activity e even with increased volume as you can see in the adjusted patient days. Uh, and I just turned it off. Provider delivery, uh, as we've discussed in previous months, this is an area where we have seen as we've continued to build up uh, the efforts uh, under Alameda Health Partners and our provider delivery network. Dr. Jamaldi and his leadership and, and uh, Dr. Pernia, they've done a phenomenal job as we're looking at transitioning and, and, and bringing services into AHP, which if you recall very recently, we had transitioned all of our radiology services to our AHP uh, providers. Uh, we have also you know, started providing services at some of our other sites, uh, such as urology, orthopedics, uh, things of that nature. I mean, so our provider delivery is doing wonderful. Um, I, although I'm reporting on the month of February, I wanted to share that you know we have we have um, completed the transition of our uh, ED at San Leandro and Alameda to uh, Oak Care Medical Group. And uh, we're, we're excited to, to, to report that that went very smoothly. Uh, there were no issues. And again, our physician leaders are, 
are phenomenal. They were front and center, and uh, we're supporting the activities, and we're continuing to fine-tune the operations to continue to drive efficiencies. Um, so again, they're outperforming the budget by a significant amount. Uh, their collections are doing great, and that's one of the great things about uh, really bringing these services under AHP that we are now retaining all professional services going. So, ambulatory care. Another wonderful month. We're starting to see the benefits and the fruit of all that labor. And uh, Palav and Catherine and that entire team has done wonderful work as they've been continuing to work on standardizing templates, on working on efficiencies, looking at skill mix. Once again, uh, total visits were above budget. So they've exceeded budget. Uh, they're doing great, great work there. Uh, we have been focusing on how we could uh, address the variance that we are experiencing or seeing here to date. Uh, for the most part, um, they feel, and in discussions with Palav, they feel that uh, they will uh, come close, if not close, the entire gap in primary care. However, specialty continues to be a little bit of a challenge, and so they may not be able to close that gap, but they're going to certainly continue to work towards that. From an expenses perspective, uh, their net patient service revenues there, as, as you can see, so they had uh, uh, $2.8 million for for the month, um, they're slightly, that was significantly below budget there by about 30%. Uh, net operating revenue uh, was obviously impacted by the supplementals. Labor, uh, slightly above uh, budget by 158000 But again, I go, I go back to, to reflect that the total FBEs are, are uh, budgeted at 507 and their actual performance was 489 So they're, they're below budget uh, as far as utilization, increased volume, the FDs per clinic visit are also above target. So again, this goes back to the, the framework issue, the infrastructural issue we had within salaries themselves. Acute care, uh, a lot of data here, but this gives you all the different key statistics that we're focusing on from discharges to day average daily census, um, surgeries, emergency visits at all of our sites, both inpatient and outpatient. And as you can see there, we, we continue to have a strong performance in the acute care setting. Uh, we have actually seen some increases in uh, the average daily census uh, at all sites with the exception of San Leandro. Uh, we are continuing to evaluate that. Again, that's largely driven as this Delvecchio said, and I'll just expand on that. Uh, part of the plan was that we would go ahead and operate half of the third floor um, while construction was ongoing. Uh, as we got deeper into the project, we realized that in order to do that, uh, the fire life safety officer from Marshpot had some significant concerns. The amount of work and effort that would have taken to try and cohabitate the space during construction play, you know, was, was there were some risks associated with that, and we all decided that, you know what, in the best interest of our patients and working with our teams, we're going to go ahead and shut down the entire third floor. You couldn't put a cone? Uh, that, that may have helped a little bit, but uh, so we've, we've uh, now what we've done is, although we've been able to obviously manage the expenses to the unit, uh, it certainly doesn't offset uh, the revenues that, that are impacted by that. What was the unit that was shut down on the third floor? It was an it was a med surge medical surgical floor. So it was an extension of the third floor. So although the third floor isn't always open, uh, you know, based on census and the need, they would go ahead and flex up to that unit uh, for medical surgical floor. And so since then, uh, now they're having to manage those patients in the ED and, and as well as in, in the floor. So their, their throughput now becomes that much more important in making sure they're managing uh, the care delivery to the patients. This is a really novice question, but is there room elsewhere for that, like at Alameda? Uh, well, uh, again, Alameda is, is uh, at times, I mean, their, their availability of beds as well is limited. Um, 
Highland is always impacted. So in fact, one of the things that we're, we're trying to do at, you know, is, is actually decompress here from Highland where we're finding ourselves um, occasionally on a, on a surge level uh, condition red where we have to then mobilize and begin transferring patients from here, uh, leveraging those sites as well as our post-acute facilities as we're improving and managing our throughput and our patient discharges. So again, it's it's challenging to 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 do that. I mean, San Leandro is, you know, they're they're doing a good job of managing that. They're currently working with uh, our system transformation team, looking at uh, their patient throughput and 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 leveraging the skills and the lessons learned here at Highland uh, as we developed and implemented our surge plan to do the same thing out there, so they can go ahead and manage those those uh, patients effectively. Uh, the, the only indicator here that I'll mention is we've seen that we, we've continued to see a decline uh, regionally um, at, uh, is in our emergency room visits. We've seen that for the entire year, um, and uh, that certainly has an impact at all sites, most specifically San Leandro, uh, where a large portion, uh, over 80% of the admissions come from the ED. So when you have less ED visits, your admissions are obviously impacted, and therefore your volumes are impacted overall. Which one did the market survey last year? But the 2016 data was available, of course. Um, when can it be updated to um, have 2017 data? Ask what's driving the length of stay. What do you think was driving that average length of stay number? Well, length of stay is, is, is two things, and I'll actually I'll, I'll look to Dr. Jamal in here, but I will just very, very fundamentally say that there's there's two things that drive length of stay. Number one is acuity of the patients, and number two is placement. But I mean, if you look at your acuity, right, for, for the month, you see where it's up. Is there a correlation currently in the month with your acuity index? So yes. So so we had the so we had the number of uh, patients who uh, had uh, very long average length of stay that were able to be placed during this month. So our uh, average length of stay had been like slightly decreasing this month, particularly when we looked when we did the, the care management social service uh, uh, discharged a number of patients who had been here above 30 days. I think it amounted for total for about 17 patients. So it was particularly those patients that drove this, this jump. Uh, we are keeping an eye on it also at the CMI index because our CMI index has been increasing gradually. We are seeing sick sicker patients. But what can we do about the placement issues? I mean, are, are we looking for, for other beds outside that we might be able to do for post acute or? Um, yeah, we have a team who work uh, uh, at all aspects, and we're trying also to uh, work with our partners in the county, uh, the Alliance, the county, CHCM, to see all the resources they have in terms of support outside the hospital for those uh, patients. Uh, the SNF also had uh, 
like less beds or movement around the stiff during that once also was a little bit difficult. So we have a bit of a bottleneck from the stiff uh, side. So, so was it because there were no beds left in the stiff or was it okay? Well, our SNFs, so I, what I will tell you is, I mean, again, our, we, we luckily, unlike other systems, I mean, we have, we have uh, the capacity and the ability to, you know, to leverage our skilled nursing facilities and our, our, our acute rehab also as appropriate. Our, our, our SNFs run most of the time at 100%. And so when you're dealing with placement issues, because you're dealing with uh, either infection control challenges where you can't cohort patients or equally when you're dealing with gender issues as well. So that has an impact on that. For the most part, we're running at 100%. We prioritize and we make sure that we always take care of the patients that are coming from Highlands and Andrew and Alameda for our SNFs, but then we also leverage and we have contracts and we support others from the community as well. The challenging part, bottom line, is when we're at 100% and when we have difficult to place patients, challenging patients because of, again, payer source or different variables, mm -hmm. um, most of your other external skilled nursing facilities, it's challenging to get them sure. in that location because then they can't, you know, they, then they get, you know, have to deal with the issues of, of further placement beyond that and then they have struggles and challenges with that. So I will tell you that our, so our case management, our care management team is very actively involved. They're working and collaborating closely with not only the county but also all the other facilities across the, the region. Um, they're actively working on that. But I will tell you that on average we have 12 to 15 patients that are sitting here at Highland Hospital greater than 15 days. It's just it's challenging. Huh? How many of those avoidable days have been blocked? Well, that's a, that's a different, right? So right, that's right. the issue, and that's the challenge, and it, it comes down to placement. So that's, right. the, that's the difficulty. That's the population that we're here to serve, and, and we have to manage that process effectively as best we can. But do you see that as getting worse now? I mean, do you see more and more of a demand for, for those beds because beds are filling up and there are no new beds out there? Actually, uh, just to go back about the metrics uh, about patients on admin day, it is getting better, but I have requested from the team to give us uh, like uh, a trend to see how, are, how we are doing with this. Uh, we used to have patients with more than 90 days, 100 days. We, we, don't, we don't have this problem anymore. Uh, and they, they meet uh, regularly multidisciplinary uh, team just to see how we can move those patients. So in general, uh, uh, our ability to move these patients is, is, is better. However, their number has have increased and their acuity and uh, age is, is increasing. So that's, that's what we are seeing. Yeah, and I guess the, the reason I'm asking the question, do we have resources perhaps within the system to be able to create more beds somewhere? Because it sounds like our beds are full all the time and you're not going to find any other beds anywhere else, especially for problems you know, payer problems or other issues like that. Right, is that a finance question or a QPSC question? I, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, it's a, I can I'll take a little bit of time and just... Well, it's a strategy question. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a global strategy. Yeah. It's an operations strategy. I mean, it's, there, there is. I mean, do, do, currently on our current state, do we have that capacity? We don't have additional beds um, that we can, you know, we can leverage for that type of purpose. Now, in the future, well, you know, we've talked about and we've mentioned that when we relocate our uh, acute rehab facility, we will have additional space available at Fairmont. That, would that be the best way to move forward? I, again, that's where the strategy comes in, and that's where 
you know, uh, certainly other discussions will be had. To yeah, and I guess that's kind of where I wanted to go with this. Is this the time to maybe have that discussion if we're finding that we're, you know, reaching capacity, we have, the, you know, patients that are here because we can't find other placements for them. So, so maybe, and I don't know if this is the forum to, to bring that or if there's another forum to bring that, but that discussion maybe should be had. Um, Yes, it needs to happen. It's part of what we're going to be talking about at the retreat, which is why we're having the retreat at Alameda and at the uh, Fairmont. Okay. Um, so we'll actually be at those those places uh, to, to kind of get you thinking about it. Uh, I, I wanted to point out that uh, when, when Trustee Thompson and I toured the Alameda SNF, we learned that it's not only always a capacity, but they have patients there from as far away as Los Angeles, and we are sending patients as far away as places like Los Angeles. So it's really not just a... It's a problem for, the, it's a global problem. And, and so I think that to the extent we can use an old building at Fairmont is great, but that's not going to solve the, 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 the broader problem that we share with other providers, with, with other systems. And so I just think that one is there's more of a, a regional approach that we need to be considering. Um, yeah, I think this would be good to take to the retreat. I'll, I'll just add one point over that I'd like to have discussed a little further with retreating sometimes population health perspective and that is we have a growing homeless issue in Alameda County and I'm sure that's a factor. And it's not just about beds, it's about homes. The ability to, to send someone um, to to some dwelling that is reasonable. I imagine we have some regulations around that. And if they're homeless they're stuck. Well, that's, and that's why there's there's all these other pilots through Alameda Care Connect, you know, through the health home pilot. I mean, there's other things that the county is doing to help support those efforts. I mean, homelessness is a, is a major issue, and that's something that, that we're certainly focused on, everyone's focused on. And not just, you know, the fact that we have challenges in placement within the, from the acute to post-acute. There's also challenges, uh, you know, for, you know, placement and setting from post-acute to home for, you know, the appropriate level of care. So again, it's 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 a, a trickle effect that goes all, all across the entire system. This is a super important conversation. How do we make sure that this doesn't get lost other than my asterisk and the chair's report? Um, are you going to take a look for the retreat? Yeah. Okay. 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 Do we know what the cause is in the decline in emergency visits? You said it's all over. People have insurance, and so that's not the first place they go. Is that what it is? That's a lot of it. Yeah. I thought his study showed that yeah, that's part of it, but they were also, because I have insurance going to Kaiser more than any place else, than our yards. Well, I think the overall trend was that all sites were experiencing a decline, with the exception of Kaiser, San Leandro, was what the data reflected. Um, why that's happening? Uh, again, insurance taking Kaiser. Well, it's a new place. Okay, so now we're going to Okay. So then we need to get to the action plan and vote on a contract. So no problem. So I will go through this year. It's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So again, in the acute care setting, um, we've got here, as you can see from uh, from a performance perspective, you know, the net revenues are at the low. Uh, pretty much on target, 1.1%. Uh, supplementals are strong, as we've seen. Um, labor, and again, this is not showing up here well, but uh, again, we're continuing to manage labor effectively. 
Uh, we, we were, I mean, it's been a busy month. I think that the acuity and what we're seeing with the patients and the surges that we have experienced, you know, that was large, largely driven by the flu uh, season back in, you know, all of January, part of February, there were some challenges over. We've been able to manage that. We're continuing to support those efforts. Uh, behavioral health, uh, the, the biggest impact to behavioral health, and as I've, I've shared uh, before, uh, we, which we've looked at, is it's largely driven by the challenges that we've had as a result of the ligature uh, improvements that we've been making to the space. I know that several of you have had the opportunity to tour um, uh, John George, and you got uh, you had, you had a, a first-hand uh, look at uh, what they what the work they've been doing, the amount of work that's gone into the facility to retrofit a lot of the fixtures, doors, um, you know, vents. I mean, everything in the space we've. Had have to go back and so what is that facility going to be back to 100%? Well, they, so I, I, I am pleased to say that since uh, since end of February they have been ramping back up, and so we have been seeing that they are full essentially, uh, like they used to be, and that's what we budget them at. We budget them at, at full capacity at all times, and so they have been they have been uh, managing a census of uh, 69 every single day uh, for the most part. Uh, so they are reaching that 99% occupancy as we've got planned and budgeted for a long period of time since. October, they weren't able to do that. So we've completed, uh, I want to say, the vast majority of the repairs. There's still a lot of work that still needs to be done. But those are in areas that we have identified as part of our internal risk assessment. We did uh, high, medium, low. All high-risk areas have been addressed. Medium areas are almost finished. And then the low-risk areas we're going to continue to work through as the year progresses. But uh, as far as the impact to, to daily operations and, and um, you know, our ability to admit patients, uh, we're, we're pretty much back on target now. Okay. Um, uh, again, the, from the dollars perspective, uh, they're they're low. Again, it's just consistent with the uh, with the volumes, but again, supplementals continue to be strong. Uh, labor uh, was slightly over, and again, this goes back to the challenges we have. Labor again, statistics are favorable and are on target with operations and budget. Post-acute, uh, they had strong patient days. Uh, they were certainly busy in that area. One of the things that we're starting to see, and one of the big drivers for post-acute is our acute rehab. And so we're, we're continuing to ramp up in, uh, in our uh, rehab facility, trying to increase the census as we had planned and budgeted. Uh, now that we've resolved some physician coverage issues uh, where we had some, some, some movement, and so now we've got new physicians, we've got providers, and we've got some continuity of services. So we're able to start bringing those, those uh, ramping up that census. So we're very pleased with that. The physiatrist has accepted an offer for us, and so uh, that another physiatrist will be starting here in May. Um, from a dollar's perspective, uh, again, consistent with the volume, uh, but their overall performance, their uh, FDs are within within budget, within target, uh, and, and their key statistics are also favorable to budget. From a system support perspective, uh, again, no patient, no net patient service revenue in that area. However, uh, there is an allocation there, as you can see, uh, for supplementals. Uh, total labor is over um, uh, on dollars. However, uh, as a system, we continue to be uh, overall favorable to budget as it relates to our, our FDEs. So with that, uh, I'm happy to answer any other questions you may have. <laughs> provide greater detail. And I was trying to go nice and, and smooth for, for Trustee Lawrence there. How was that? <laughs> she said I speak too fast. I look forward to it. I did have a follow-up. I, I was on the tour of John George, uh, press of work staff is doing out there. Mm -hmm. And I, I a fascinating system of the ligature um, process. Uh, and I was just wondering, I, I, I knew there was a reason given, and I can't remember it, so I'm going to ask it publicly. Why are we not doing all that work um, all in one 
one shot as opposed to rolling it out. Um, I, I know there's some limitations, so I just was hoping you explain that again. Well, so again, it, it all comes down to operations. It's very disruptive to the patients. So when you're, for example, when you're having to replace the door handle to open the door, as you guys saw, it's very, it's a, it's a completely new, um, uh, you know, device. And so you've got to remove the entire door. You've got to, you know, so there's, there's a, a major disruption to, to so you're taking rooms out of service yeah. in, in, in order to do that. So again, we're, we're still trying to run an operation and provide, you know, obviously valuable care to the patients. Uh, so that's why we saw the dips in census. And so again, it was just trying to phase it to where we would minimize, we would do sections of the building. That's not like a very reasonable plan. I just had forgotten. That's what it was. It's essentially just a disruption of the construction of what needed to be done. Things were back order, I remember hearing that those door locks and all that. Well, that's, that, well, that was just to get started, uh, you know, because this is not something that's just affected John George. This is something that has been a key focus area for the Joint Commission, CMS, and, uh, you know, ligature is a major concern across the country. And so a lot of the vendors uh, were experiencing, you know, back orders as a result of all the, all the, you know, requests that were being made across the nation. So when we received everything, then we had to phase it to make sure that we could operate, but also continue to affect the Paris. <laughs> Thank you. I still we're going to change some of the light bulbs where we exhibited plexiglass over the fixtures, but I can't solve anything. So anyway, thank you for another great report. Excellent. Um, I, I, I think the next item, uh, Trustee Thompson, is really the, the back-to-budget plan. I've provided you with the detail. Uh, you all have it in your packages. Uh, it's really, I, I tried to keep the same format that we presented uh, initially when we presented the plan. Uh, not just added a couple columns to kind of give you a sense of how we're tracking uh, our performance towards that and the status of it now. So uh, you have that detail in your packages, and I certainly would be very happy to answer any questions you may have. Is it working as well as you want it to? Is it hitting um, the bottom line where we want to? And over on so I, I, well, I'm very pleased to say that I, I think even in the report that I just provided, recognizing that a lot of these activities didn't take effect until uh, late March, uh, and many of them were not effective until April 1st or after beginning of April, we have already started to see some improvements in our supplies uh, and in our non-labor expenses where uh, the staff and the team has been managing, equally in our labor uh, expenses where we've seen uh, our staff managing productivity, managing to the two to the you know to the to the actual volume of the units and so they're working with their resources some of the work that we have done as it relates to um, you know our, our, our scheduling practices and how we are working with some of our support and ancillary areas uh, there has been some some rebids that have taken effect and that work that, that, that has been completed so we're starting to see all that take effect and so I'm I'm very confident that in the next couple of months we're going to start seeing some measurable improvements and uh, getting closer to achieving those targets that's great any questions? Uh, I do. Um, I, I will have to say that I think that this is still, for me as a board member, and the others can speak to it, that this does not give me a whole lot of, it's really just general, and a whole lot of confidence. And if, in fact, this action plan is intending to be a part of your new budget, you know, the expenses and the savings, the revenues and the, the savings and expenses. Um, how does this fit, how are we going to 
are we going to chart this? Everything is in progress. I think there was one thing that was completed. And so I'm not, I mean, it's like, it's like a list of ideas that you guys want to do. And I, I, and I respect that. I mean, I'm not, but how do, how does a board monitor that we're close enough that there has been progress other than my trusting you that there's progress? Isn't a lot of that in this report? That yes. So that's the detail that I provided in in, the, in your package there. That that gives you greater clarity of exactly what was budgeted, what was vetted uh, by finance, because all of this has been reviewed and vetted by finance. The dollars have been validated, and we then have our our actions on how we're progressing the dollars. So I added that uh, that extra uh, detail. This was more of a high level uh, yeah. summary. Uh, I I give you my apologies because I missed it. So. I'm sorry. I missed it until it was sent separately too. Okay. Today. So I, I, it's I just missed it. I'm sorry. Okay. Any other questions? We're staying until five thirty eight minutes for you. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, I should have uh, before the uh, CO uh, report uh, stated uh, with respect to, to FY nineteen budget so you you got the memo with uh, uh, the update of where we are year to date. Um, uh, you will recall just a few uh, sort of editorial comments on that uh, we had initially set out in general the goal of trying to get the budget um, uh, before you and, and ideally approved uh, by May. So we're going on a timeline of trying to have a completed budget to you to come to the Finance Committee in April and then uh, proceed from there. Uh, with a couple of the changes uh, recently, we, we uh, recalibrated, and so our goal is um, now that uh, by well, you see the current status of where we are now. Uh, we're working to close our gap to make sure we uh, achieve uh, a budget that hits our either target. Uh, we are aiming now to, at the end of uh, this month, at the retreat, we're going to spend the first couple of hours walking through where we are on the capital and the operating budget. Uh, it is an overview. It's not a integrating action, but education and feedback. Um, uh, we'll then bring it through the process beginning in the month of May. So, uh, at the next finance committee, and this will be a discussion for the uh, chair and the team, uh, we'd like to uh, spend some uh, time in that meeting uh, talking through and sort of follow up from the first presentation on the budget. Um, uh, with an appropriate commission, I think we've done this before, we would extend an open invitation to other trustees yes. to participate in that discussion as well. We then bring it, you know, depending on how things are going and how we're uh, calibrating towards any sort of changes because it's back and forth with the budget. Uh, we'd expect that we bring it back uh, as an overview to the full board at the end of May and then we brought it through the approval or the endorsement and approval process in June. Can we send just a preliminary save the date to uh, the trustees not on finance committee just saying we're hoping to do this and could you please put this on your calendar? Uh, just I see no reason why we couldn't so we'll, we'll, we'll have to do that. So if we're there, there at least they have it on their calendar. Anything else? No, that's all I want to okay. say. Unless you have any questions about it, that's all I have. No. Okay. Uh, we have a contract for a 3M company that needs to be uh, discussed. Who's the lead sander of him? Health information management. Welcome. 
Hello. So um, I would like to know if you would like to ask any questions up front. Would you like me to present? I don't have Do we need a presentation, trustees? Are we going to like this contract? I would yes. the action. Okay, then I would love a motion to move. We have a, a motion I would like to second. second. No discussion. Um, all in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? Carries. Thank you very much. Um, we have a public comment, but I would like to um, have acquiescence from uh, the trustees that we move from here on um, speaker comments to the beginning, beginning of the agenda. We do that at our full trustee meetings. We um, move the people who want to speak at this uh, committee speak uh, after the meeting with uh, rotten vegetables. We actually have. Uh, Ms. Skyler here to speak to us today, so please come up and talk to us, and I promise next time if you come back, we'll be at the beginning of the agenda. Thank you for your patience. I am Ann Skyler. I'm a field representative for uh, about 2,800 of your employees uh, who belong to SEIU Local 10 to 1. Um, we understand the need for budget fidelity and budget accuracy. Uh, we believe uh, fiscal stewardship and spending for sustainability are requisite ethics in public service uh, settings like this. Our members see and are concerned, worried about uh, waste, organizationally self-inflicted inefficiencies, uncollected revenue, uh, and ultimately, uh, potential risk to patient care. They worry about the upstream waste that also uh, can impact their own positions. Um, because we see this, we are working to assist. We've worked closely through labor relations to uh, get these shift bids redone. So that was mentioned in your budget uh, presentation, and we're actively doing that. Um, we also have two uh, ways in which we have conversations with managers. One is the patient care committee structure, and that's in many of our locations. We've worked hard to get those set up in the MOU triage setting. In both of those um, areas, well, let me say this prior to that. Our contracts are designed to avoid overtime. So when we see overtime occurring, we have conversations like, what's going on with your schedule? Why aren't you managing this appropriately? What's really going on here? And one of the things we find ourselves asking is, why aren't you hiring SAMs? These are per diem folks. And what we get is differing responses from managers. Uh, you know, it's hard to hire them. Uh, we, we have to go through the uh, budget review process to hire a SAM. I can only hire once. And, um, it's variant messaging, and it's not sensible for us to hear that you're not hiring the lowest cost backfill. So that's one structural problem. Um, we also have asked through labor relations that we have a forum to talk to the medical staff because our members continually point out areas in which doctor behaviors and doctor habits impact their ability to get service done and costs a lot of money. So for instance, in the ED, they have a pit structure that's designed to get folks in and out quickly. If they're not, real complex. Our ED nurses describe, they can point out the doctor who routinely orders this many tests and then wounds somebody who is otherwise healthy. They see that as an impact. They see patients admitted to the ICU who don't need to be. They see ICU patients admitted to SDU who don't need to be. They know that there are 500 referral backlogs for patients. They're worried about that. 
There um, also are APPs, our advanced practice practitioners, are worried that their work is not being billed for, sometimes at all. These are things that we're here to work with you to help. We, we need to fix this because at the end of the screen are our members' jobs. So we've asked for that patient care committee with the medical staff who need that to happen. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Okay, um, any other comments from trustees or uh, senior staff? Uh, I will alert the uh, audience that um, you know, we have a sales on one and fried macaroni and cheese. Yeah. Uh, please. Uh, and uh, I'll take a motion to close this meeting. Okay. Can you make that motion? Thank I'll you. I'll sign it. All in favor? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.